everybody. Hey. Welcome back. I'm Larry. I'm Emily. This is Planet and God, and we are doing what now? Uh, this is our Christmas reading challenge. We're reading through the book of John. Yep. And then we finish up on Christmas Day. That is true. So where are we at in the book of John? So we're in John chapter 7. John chapter 7. This is an, actually an exciting chapter. I do have good notes. I've got a lot of notes, um, unfortunately, for you, haha, <laughs> if you're here and listening. Um, so we're going to go through John chapter 7. We're going to share our thoughts on it, um, what we pulled out, and uh, we'll go from there. All right, so uh, any pre-thoughts? I do have a pre-thought. See, I always get myself in trouble. I say, let's dive in, and then you have pre-thought. Yes, I do. <laughs> so I do have a pre-thought, and that is this, to understand especially some of the comments at the end of the chapter is that Galilee is a place of scorn. So to be, can, be from Galilee is to, like, call someone or tell someone that you're from a slum or a crummy place or a bad city. Um, it used to be that Detroit was, you know, murder capital of the world. So it would be like, oh, you're a Detroiter, icky, ew, right? You're from that city that is horrible. Um, so that's, that's what we'll see later, um, especially as the Jews start kind of infighting amongst each other. They go, oh, are you from Galilee too? Like, that's a bad, like almost as a slur. Right. So um, a lot of that, though, the perception behind that thought was because there was no rabbinic school in Galilee. So because there was no school training rabbis, it had to be a bad city. So that's or a city. How could a how could somebody like a rabbi come out of there? Out of there. Right. There's, no school, there's there. no school. Right. So that's that's just a pre thought, something to keep in the back of your mind as we go through this chapter. All right, so we start this chapter and we see this is before uh, another feast, Feast of Tabernacles. Yes, the Feast of Tabernacles is near. Um, so thought on that. Sorry, I'm going to do a lot of talking this time. The Feast of Tabernacles is a really cool feast because it is understood, the Jewish understanding of the Feast of Tabernacles is that it would be fulfilled by the coming of the Messiah. So the Messiah is going to come, set up his kingdom, the Messianic kingdom, and therefore fulfill the Feast of Tabernacles. That's important as we dig through. And we see that from Zechariah chapter 14, verses 16 through 21. So if you want to go look that up and study that passage, that is what describes the Jewish understanding of the Feast of Tabernacles. This is a, this in, this, there's an interaction here with his brothers. Yep, his half-brothers. So he, they're go, getting ready to go to the feast, and they're basically saying, like, you know, why aren't you? Just go down with us and just tell people, you know. But yes. truly in their hearts, their motivation was they didn't really believe. Exactly. They don't believe. So they're, like, kind of telling him to go up out of a place of unbelief. But they have that understanding that, this is the, the this feast, right, is going to be fulfilled when Messiah comes and brings his kingdom in. So why don't you just go do it, Jesus? Go bring the kingdom in. Come on, do it. They're like um, peer pressure. That's the word I was thinking. They're like peer pressuring him into fulfilling the Feast of Tabernacles 
uh, but Jesus does not, right? His brothers don't understand that he cannot be king at this point in time because he hasn't died yet. They don't understand that first part of the messianic prophecies that Messiah must die first and then come again to be the king. Right. We see a lot through scripture, especially through John, where he says it's not his time. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's that it's is comforting correct. to know that, though, because we have this view of God and we can see that he's in control of the timing. Yes, he is. So that's comforting to know because it's not his time because God has a time and God has a plan for it. Right. And this is totally not his like from the arrest of Jesus to his death on the cross, even when he actually dies. God is in, Jesus is in full control, and he is the one who gives up the ghost. He doesn't take, he, he lays down his life. It's not taken from him. Right. Then we scooch on a little further. We get into the actual Feast of Tabernacles. Yes, and mm. Jesus did go. But in secret. But, see, right, secretly after his right. brother had already Because died. he's not, he's not going to fulfill it at this time. It's not his time yet. I think also noting too that like the Jews were at this point seeking to kill him. Yes, they were. Um, They've been seeking to kill him and in John's gospel account, uh, I think it was last chapter or the chapter before they talk about how he has a demon or the Jews say that he has a demon. We see it for sure in chapter seven and that is the true reason why the Jews denounce Jesus as the Messiah. They think he was demonically possessed. Right. Jesus will contend that in this chapter and say why that isn't true. By way of kind of introducing for those that are not familiar with the Feast of Tabernacles, I wanted to give a little background because having that background is key to understanding this conversation. During the Feast of Tabernacles, there is two ceremonies. There is the outpouring of water ceremony which we see in chapter 7 and then there is the lighting of the lampstands which we will see in chapter 8 and Jesus is going to address both of these so during the outpouring of water the priest would march from the temple to the pool of Siloam they would fill these water containers up with water from the pool of Siloam march them back up to the temple mount Um, When they do that, they would sing the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 through 134, and then they would pour out the water in much rejoicing, right? Because the Messiah is coming to set up his kingdom, so it would be happy. Um, The Mishnah comments on this. I thought this was a cool quote from the Mishnah that says that whoever has not seen rejoicing at the outpouring of water has not seen rejoicing in all his life. Like this was such a happy occasion. Um, and then the rabbinic interpretation of this is that the, it's symbolized by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Right? When the Messiah comes to set up his kingdom, then the Holy Spirit will be outpoured onto all the people. And there are several verses that talk about this throughout the Old Testament. I'm going to put them up on the screen here. I would encourage you to pause and go back and read through these verses. Uh, there's a lot but it is a really cool study to understand the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as to how it relates to the Feast of Tabernacles. But that's essentially what Jesus addresses in chapter 7, and then in chapter 8, we'll see the lighting of the lampstands. So then through, I kind of, that's 
11 through 13 area yeah. is where I'm at. This is where the people were kind of whispering back and forth and talking about Jesus, which I find really cool because they, the people there, this is why it's so important that Jesus was there because yeah. there were people there that their hearts were truly seeking him mm -hmm. and truly wondering about him. Now there were the opposite too, because you can see through this chapter, the back and forth of, oh, yeah. you know, who is he? Is he really the Messiah? Yep. So, and then he does, he teaches yes. uh, midway through the feast. Yeah. The, the division among the people is primarily because Jesus was never trained in a rabbinic school. And so they're wondering how can he be the Messiah if he didn't go to rabbi school? How can he be one that is, right? How can he have so much wisdom if he didn't learn from the rabbis? Mm -hmm. And so that's where you get that conflict of them saying, well, he has a demon. He has all this wisdom because it's demonic in nature. And that's what Jesus essentially is contending with throughout this chapter is, no, it's not demonic, it's divine. And that's, that is, that is key, right? You have the reason why they denounce him. They think he's, he has a devil in him. But Jesus is like, no, how can I do all of these miracles if it was demonically inspired? I thought it was interesting for verse 16 and 19, we see that Jesus is again showing his submission to God the Father as well. Yeah, he, he talks about how he uh, his teaching is received from God, it is not his own, and that he has been sent by the Father to teach, and that everything that he does glorifies the Father and not himself. That is... I mean, it's really giving them the answer that right. they were seeking. Where are you getting this wisdom from? Well, I'm getting it from the Father. Right. Showing and that authority that it comes from the Father, but also showing this is where the wisdom is truly coming exactly. from. Exactly. And then that's the verse you've been referring to is verse 20, where it says you have a demon who is, uh, and then they say, who is seeking to kill you? Which is crazy because that's coming from the Pharisees. And yeah. He knows their hearts. Well, <laughs> so. the, the reason that they seek to kill him is because they have not kept the law, right? The original 613 Mosaic law. Because if they had kept the law, the law points to the Messiah and his coming. The fact that he must die for their sins first. Well, right. But it's just that they're saying, who is seeking to kill right. you? But in reality, they're the ones actually doing it. Like Right. They're denying it. Right. But they're because actually seeking to. Because they want to look good for right. the, you know, the other, the other people. people. Right. They don't want... <laughs> Because you've got this contention among the crowd. The leaders are trying to deal with But this. they're not fooling anyone because even right. the people in the crowd are like, oh, they're seeking to kill Jesus. Like, they know. Yeah, they like, know. You know what I mean? It's just, I just find that, like, a little bit hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> they're, like, they're, they're trying to fool everybody, but actually I don't think anybody's being fooled. Yeah, <laughs> but then Jesus brings it back in verses 22 through 24 to the original reason as to why they sought to kill him. And that was because he healed on the Sabbath. Right. And then look at verse 24. Jesus says, Do not judge according to the external experience, ex appearances, but judge with proper judgment. Right. Jesus is telling him, If you would be judging with proper judgment, if you were looking at the internal and not the external, then you would see that he, what he did was right and true, and that you wouldn't be seeking to kill him. But right. that's not the case. I there I kinda noted that their hearts were in the wrong place. It is, yeah, throughout and this whole the leaders have made up their mind. Now they just need to get the people on board with them. Right, because again, the crowd is mixed. Yes. There's some people who believe 
Jesus is Christ, and then there are other people who are siding with right. uh, religious leaders. Yep. And then we get into 25 through 27, mm -hmm. where Jesus is now questioned by the people. Uh, the people kind of have this feeling that they're not supposed to know where the Messiah come from, comes from, but they know that Jesus is from Galilee. Again, a place of scorn, right? To be from Galilee is to be looked down upon. And uh, this also relates to verse 42, where the people say how the Messiah needs to come from Bethlehem. It just goes to show that they don't really know Jesus' birth origins, that he was birthed in Bethlehem, that he had to move around to fulfill other prophecies. Right? If Jesus had been born in Bethlehem and stayed in Bethlehem, he would have negated the prophecy of being called out from Egypt. Mm -hmm. Right? Or uh, I'm sure that there are others. I don't have them all. I didn't write them all down, but... Well, I know there's one where he's called a Nazarene, so yep. that's one He would have to well. be from Nazareth, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's it's just funny to see how that the people think that he, the Messiah has to be born in Bethlehem and live his whole life there. Yeah. But they forget the other prophecies. There are more than 300 prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfills. Well, which is crazy, too, because the religious leaders at that time would have known the, the scriptures. Yeah. Or should have known the scriptures. And... It's like they're reading right past those prophecies. Oh, yeah. You know? They read past a lot of the prophecies. I mean, again, we're guilty of doing that, too, because... Right. It's it, it's a hard thing to, to do, but from an individual level, okay, that's understandable if you or I miss something. But if we've got a group of two, three hundred people... All studying. All studying. And, and I everyone mean, misses it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we see that with our Friday night Bible studies where... Bill, my my friend Bill, who runs the Faithful Word, uh, will we do this Bible study? But we'll look at uh, uh, questions from our group, and Bill will approach a question in one way. I'll approach it in another way. We usually get to the ninety nine point nine percent of the time we come to the same conclusion, but we come at it from different angles right. and we see different views and you'd think among the Pharisees they would be doing the same thing coming at it from different angles and maybe coming up with different stuff. But that just goes to show you too that it goes back to the heart issue. It's right. a heart issue and if your heart is not planted in the word of God and it's not planted in God and you have no faith you're what are you really learning? Right. You know? Well I mean it, it boils down to the fact that Jesus wouldn't uh, affirm their oral law. Right. And because he wouldn't affirm their oral law, he is rejected. Yeah, it's not that they didn't know the scriptures and believe the scriptures. It's that they didn't want to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Right. Yeah. So that's what it really boils down to. Yep. And then in 28 through 36, we kind of have this discourse between Jesus and the people. Uh, Jesus explains that his origins are divine. They may know his human origins, but his true origins are of divine nature, and the people can't reconcile this because they know his human. They know he, yeah, I his think human he's, side. He's going back to speaking spiritually right. again um, in this particular part. Oh, yeah. And again, they don't, they can't grasp it. No, they can't. But we can see that many of the people, not the leaders, but many of the people start believing Yes. They they make a faith affirmation, and this causes antagonism between 
the Pharisees and the people. Uh, Jesus then speaks parabolically about his death, right? Where he is going, you cannot understand, you cannot come with. Uh, this confuses the leaders, and they think that he's going to go live among the Jewish people in the dysphoria. That is, the Jews that live with the Greeks. In 37 through 44, now we have the Messiah extending uh, an invitation to the people. We're on the last day of the feast. The feast was seven day long, days long, so it's the seventh day. What's really cool about the seventh day, I don't know, do you, do you know about the seventh day of the Feast of Tabernacles? I may or may not. Oh, jeez. All right, so <laughs> during the first six days, they would do this whole water collection and pouring out once a day. The seventh day, they would do it seven times. So go get the water, sing the Psalms of Ascent, pour out the water. So the seventh day is like the most important, right? And so that's why there is this emphasis on water right? The outpouring of the water. And Jesus is going to address in these verses the spiritual truth behind the outpouring of the water, right? The Jews understand that it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to go even deeper with it. And he's going to extend an invitation to everyone to believe in him and receive the Holy Spirit. He's like, hey, this part, the outpouring of the water, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, that's here. All you got to do is believe in me and then you will get the Holy Spirit. Now, I know it's not until Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit actually well, comes. Well, that just goes to show but, you that it's not immediate. It, right. right. Just because God says you're going to get something doesn't mean it's immediate. And also, you can see that back in Genesis when the serpent tempts Eve. Right. Right. She says, if I eat of this, I'll surely die. Yep. Well, when I was younger, I thought, well, she didn't die. But death came into the world, yep. and she did eventually die. Right. And so it doesn't mean it's instant. Yeah. You know, we're we're in a world of instant gratification. We are. But <laughs> this this is just in another instance like that. Right. Where it's not instant, but it's going to happen. Well, I think also of Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham. You know, right. I'll make you like your your generations will be like the sands yep. of the sea. Right. Your he'll be you know, one of a great nation, and he right. is, but Abraham himself didn't actually see that. Right. So anyway, we bump down to 45 to... Well, so I have one more thought. Oh, sorry. You're jumping. <laughs> one more thought here. In verses 40 through 42, we see a three-way division among the people. I thought this was really cool to see. You see in verse 40 that there's a group of people that say that Jesus is a prophet, and then in 41a, the first part of 41, others say that this is the Christ. So you have a group of people that believe that he is the Messiah. And then 41b through 42, we have a group of people that think he's ineligible because they think he was born in Galilee. Right? They think he lived his whole life in Galilee and therefore not eligible to be the Messiah. But that therein goes to show they don't know the origins of Jesus, that he was born in Bethlehem, he went down to Egypt, he went up to Nazareth, right? And he comes out of Galilee. And so that is just an interesting uh, division that we see among the people. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I did not pull that from this. There you go. 
Now we get into 45 through 52 to wrap up the chapter. Yep. Now, verse 53, I know it's uh, part of chapter 7, but there then, then again, um, the scriptures are not, or the chapter and verse markers are not inspired. I would put 53 with chapter 8. Should be 8 1. I mean, it's lumped in. It is. In my subsection. So if you read 53 today, that's fine. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Today we're going to look at 45 through 52, where uh, we get the response of the Pharisees. I mean, I just go back to the fact that they know the law, yeah. they know the scriptures, but they don't truly know the scriptures. <laughs> like, right. Right. It's it's interesting how this section kind of the the players in this section, the the people in this section, you've got the officer, the Pharisees and the officers and then our buddy Nicodemus comes back. I know. I did notice that too. I think it's almost hopeful to me for Nicodemus. I'm like, "Oh, yeah. so much hope." <laughs> there is. So, um, you have uh 45 through 46, the officers that were sent to arrest Jesus, don't arrest him because they were arrested in amazement. Uh -huh. Dead joke. <laughs> uh, then 47 and 48, the rabbis ridicule these officers. They think that they're being stupid, right? There's Larry Luce paraphrase, you idiots. Why are you also deceived? Do you also believe, right? So they're kind of ridiculing them. Essentially, they're saying that it's the common stupid people that believe Jesus is the Messiah, not us well-educated rabbis, right? And it's that, that same insult that they use to Nicodemus, because Nicodemus well, comes in. You can see that Nicodemus, it's, it's almost, he's trying to defend Jesus, but in a very subtle gentle way because obviously he's surrounded by he's yeah people he's, he knows that you know but nicodemus you can tell his heart is tweaked <laughs> yeah he's doing it by bringing up the law the law that requires them to give jesus a fair hearing right but their response is again to accuse nicodemus of being a galilean again a slur and to make fun of him and to say hey you're stupid too um, and then they make this claim that no prophet comes from Galilee, but they are wrong. Did you know that Hosea, Jonah, and Elijah all come from Galilee? I did not know. That's a fun fact. That is a fun fact. <laughs> so, even if Jesus did live in Galilee, if he were to be this prophet, he could be from Galilee, right? Well, but, we do know and see that Jesus is prophet. So the way that he, he is, was divided by the people, like he right. is a prophet. He right. is the Messiah. Yep. And he was from Galilee. Yeah. So he might not he have is, been born in Galilee. And all but, those things. Exactly. But the, it's just interesting the lie that the Pharisees taught or would say that, you know, investigate carefully and see that no prophet comes from Galilee. Well, here's three that do come from Galilee. That's all I had for chapter 7. You? Yeah, that, that wraps it up for me too. That, all right, cool. So we're going to get into chapter 8 tomorrow where we see the second half of the Feast of Tabernacles, the lamp lighting ceremony. Yep, I'm looking forward to it. Groovy. All right, all happy right. reading. We'll see you tomorrow for John chapter 8.